for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every Gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. Barbecue is so much a part of North Carolina's identity that an entire section of the state health code is devoted to regulating barbecue pits. Officially called supplemental cooking rooms, the code regulates flooring, ventilation, and hand washing. While the North Carolina Health Code doesn't distinguish between East, that's whole hogs served with a vinegar-based sauce, and West, shoulders served with a more tomatoey sauce, day trippers know there's a clear line of demarcation. And aficionados know the names of the pitmasters who stoke the fires on both sides of the line. Steve and Jerry Grady, Red Bridges, Rick Monk, and Ed Mitchell. SFA helped introduce Ed to a national audience. When we staged our first barbecue symposium in 2002, he emerged the star. As a writer working outside the SFA, I probably banged the drum loudest. After the symposium, I wrote about him for Gourmet Magazine, and I poured it on thick. A quick fall followed that rise. Ed ran into trouble. Looking back, I now realize that by celebrating what Ed aimed to do, I poked a hornet's nest. We're getting ahead of the story. In this moment when pitmasters like Aaron Franklin and Rodney Scott win James Beard Awards for Best Chef, it would be easy to think that the barbecue world has moved beyond Ed Mitchell. But thinking like that is a mistake. He's a talented pitmaster and a visionary entrepreneur. And as Wilson Sayer tells us, his best days might be ahead. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells new and complicated and smoky stories about the changing American South. Ed Mitchell's signature look is a bushy white beard and his denim overalls. He almost never leaves the house without his overalls. He calls it an homage to his grandfather, who taught him how to smoke hogs and himself wore bibs. So when we met up for lunch in his hometown of Wilson, North Carolina, people easily recognized Mitchell and shook his hand. The lunch menu is straightforward. Barbecue pork, chicken, barbecued or fried seafood, and sides. But this place is not Ed Mitchell's restaurant, which used to be a few miles down the same road. This is Parker's, another famous barbecue spot in Wilson. Mitchell orders the barbecue with fried chicken. Small combination. Dark meat with Brunswick stew and uh, string beans fine. Coleslaw comes with the right. Yeah. The menu hasn't changed in 70-some years. <laughs> As we're waiting for our food, he points to the wall. Hanging there on the wood paneling is a plaque with a single leaf of cured tobacco attached. That uh, tobacco leaf there, which represents the driving force of the economy, and how it all got started as, as relates to barbecue after the tobacco harvest, you know. They always have a big sing-ding, a big cookout, a big barbecue. And so everybody just, it's just a way of life. Tobacco, some say, is why barbecue became such a big part of North Carolina's food culture. After harvest, it was a big celebration. 
The curing of tobacco in the state often required large fires and long hours. All that's missing? The hog. Our food comes in cafeteria-style plastic-divided plates. Meat in the big section, sides in the smaller two. Mitchell points to another picture on the wall, an aerial view of Parker's, which must have been taken in the 1950s, judging by the cars parked out front. That picture represents a time when he wasn't allowed to come into white-owned Parker's. We had to come in to the back door, which is now the actual takeout right here. And uh, of course, uh, we couldn't come to the front. Many years ago, Mitchell had relatives working here, doing the cooking and the barbecuing. It always has been that way in most of the restaurants, you know. You go in there and uh, you see the name out there on the marquee, but when you go behind the scene and see who's actually cooking, well, this, this tells a different story. And I think that that's what was so fascinating about us, is that the name on the marquee of our building and when they went behind the scene, the same people were doing the cooking. So, Mitchell says when he started his own barbecue venture, Parker's treated him like a colleague. But that was not the same for other barbecuers in the area. And so Mitchell and his son Ryan wanted to start our conversation here. This place where the food on our plates and the pictures on the wall set the stage for Mitchell's tumultuous journey in the world of barbecue. The grandson of North Carolina sharecroppers, Mitchell started barbecuing as a young kid. That was their way of getting out and socializing away from the, the, the women folks. <laughs> they drank moonshine and they, my uncle was a guitar player, they played the guitar, they sang, so we, we just had a good time. One night, they were all cooking a hog for the church family reunion. And... Everybody's just sort of celebrating a little bit too much with the moonshine. <laughs> and everyone sort of dozes off. And even though I was just a uh, amateur, I figured out a way to continue to stoke the fires and, and keep the heat going so the hog would get done. Everybody started coming around about 5 a.m. in the morning, waking up, looking around. <laughs> and the first thing they jumped up and said, oh, my God. We done messed up this hog. But his grandfather goes over and sees this perfectly cooked pig. I said, did you do this? I was afraid to answer, but I said, yes. He said, come here. I really thought I was going to get reprimanded, but he reached over and he got the jar of moonshine and pulled out a swig and he gave it to me. He said, take your swig, because in other words, I had evidently past the rite of passage. (laughs) Mitchell left Wilson to go to college, then the military, then a job at Ford Motors. But when his father passed, he moved back to Wilson to help his mother with their grocery store. They did everything at the store, including eat their meals. So one day, Mitchell's mom says, I got a taste for some old-fashioned barbecue. So I went out to the local supermarket and got a small pig, I think like about a 35-pounder. And I went and bought $5 worth of oak wood from the guy down there that was selling firewood. I came back to the grocery store, pulled out the old cooker, old smoker, and I put it on. As Mitchell and his mother ate their barbecue lunch, a customer walked in. Saw this beautiful bowl of barbecue. And so the guy says, oh, Miss Mitchell, y'all selling barbecue now? And so Mama made a couple of sandwiches and... It was so insignificant that I didn't even look up to see who the person was. By the end of the day, the whole lot was gone. 
And so the next day, Mitchell got a bigger pig and cooked it up and sold out. It didn't take a rocket science to figure out, well, we're on to something here, you know. And so um, from that point on, about every other day, I began to cook a pig. And that was part of our sales in the store. They started moving the groceries out of the way to make room for tables and chairs, then removed the groceries entirely. They expanded the shop into a two-story barbecue emporium. We're looking at uh, the main interest of Mitch's Barbecue when it first got started. And also before then, that was the Mitchell's supermarket, mom and pop grocery store. Outside the turquoise-painted cinder block building, Mitchell points to a window. Through it, you can see a white wall, the original exterior of the old, much smaller shop that he wanted to preserve when they expanded in the early 1990s. So I decided to retain this part of the old restaurant, the old grocery store, and add on all the new part that you see. But Mitchell wasn't just making over his mother's grocery store into a full-on restaurant. He had bigger ambitions. In the late 1990s, lots of the old-school barbecue joints were moving from wood-smoking their pigs to gas and electric cooking. The old way was too expensive and labor-intensive. Mitchell, instead, wanted to stick to those flavors he knew from childhood. And part of that was thinking about not just the method of cooking. Mitchell wanted to change how the pigs themselves were raised and slaughtered as well. Ed was interested in building a system whereby small farmers, African-American small farmers, could raise, you know, 50 or 75 pigs, not depend upon these big confinement facilities, um, these big hog barns. John T. Edge is founding director of the Southern Foodways Alliance, writer and host of this podcast. He was one of the people who heard about what Mitchell was doing early on and wrote about it for a national audience. One story in particular ran in Gourmet magazine about Mitchell's push for heirloom pigs. Because this is the moment when America is recognizing those huge confinement facilities with their waste lagoons that were overtopped in um, inclement weather or seeped into the water system of the towns nearby, that they were threats to their neighbors. Barbecue and interest in what we now call free-range heirloom hogs and how Mitchell was cooking them was garnering lots of press far beyond the borders of Wilson. Mitchell's restaurant got a nod from Johnny Apple of the New York Times, one of the most respected writers in the country. Anthony Bourdain, then of a cook's tour, showed up to learn how to cook whole hog North Carolina style. Mitchell was a headliner at the Big Apple Barbecue Block Party in New York City. He partnered with North Carolina A&T University's School of Agriculture in hopes they could develop a program for black farmers to raise these non-commercial pigs. Mitchell's vision was to use that farm-to-table pipeline to feed a chain of pig bars where, over a frosty beverage, people could eat lots of different parts of the pig, all cooked up in delicious fashion, from the rooter to the tutor. He was doing something bold, and that threatened some people. Edge points out that there are nearly as many pigs in North Carolina as people. And in eastern North Carolina, far more pigs than people. It's a big business with lots of money and political interests. In Wilson, barbecue, you know, all of the business community in Wilson was white-dominated. Kathleen Purvis is a longtime North Carolina food writer. She actually spent some of her childhood in Wilson. And there was pushback, I heard, um, from the white 
establishment in Wilson getting kind of angry that here Wilson Barbecue had come to the attention of the world, and it was this, you know, upstart African-American man, and there was some resentment of that. And things began to get difficult for Mitchell as his ambitions grew to spread the gospel of his style of barbecue. Well, I never even imagined any kind of uh, political influence into something that's instantly as cooking, you know, but it was it was really got really get, get bad, really, really bad. I never will forget when uh, he was a politician, he came into the store, he says, uh, who told you you can cook this barbecue like uh, like this? And I said, no one told me. You know, it was, he says, yeah, he said, but well, you're getting ready to start some trouble. Not long after Mitchell's celebrity hit new heights, he got indicted for tax evasion. At the time of his arrest, the state said he owed roughly $40,000. He was convicted of embezzlement and served jail time, 30 days on the weekends. Restaurants get in trouble over taxes all the time, and their owners don't go to jail. But in Ed's case, he did. I do not doubt at all that that was treated a bit more harshly than it would have been for if Parkers had done the same thing. Of course, can't prove it. It's all, you know, the way racism always is. But I, I know Wilson well enough to know that that was probably true. Mitchell had to close up the restaurant, shutter this place that had been his parents' grocery store, their livelihood. Despite the closure and all the tax stuff, Mitchell maintained his vision for what barbecue could be. The newest iteration would add another element. The concept was fine dining barbecue. When we come back, at age 73, Ed Mitchell continues to push the boundaries of what a barbecue restaurant could be. Maybe should be? Yeah. But first... SFA doesn't do this too often, but today, we've got a podcast recommendation for you. John T.? Southbound from WFAE, Charlotte's NPR station, is hosted by award-winning writer and our friend Tommy Tomlinson. Get a copy of his book, The Elephant in the Room. You really want it. (laughs) Listen to Southbound and meet Southerners like Vivian Howard, host of the PBS show South by Somewhere, and Erica Council, granddaughter of the acclaimed Mama Dip, who has charted her own path as a biscuit maker in Atlanta. He's also asked tough and smart and good questions of NASCAR's Dale Earnhardt Jr. and musician Rihanna Giddens. If you enjoy gravy, and really, who doesn't enjoy gravy, then we think you'll also like Southbound. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream your audio on demand. Two years after Mitchell's closed in Wilson, an opportunity came along to open a restaurant with a developer in Raleigh, the big city and North Carolina state capital, about 45 minutes west of Wilson. It had all the amenities. It had the white tablecloths. It had the wine. It had the different beers and liquors and everything. And I wanted to go in with that. I don't want to go into the uh, red and white checker cloth. I want to go into a whole different atmosphere. I can make this work. The pit opened in 2007 in a former meatpacking plant. In a lot of ways, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, barbecue was a throwaway food. Food writer Kathleen Purvis again. I know. remember when this conversation started to change in the early 2000s. The reaction a lot of times was, 
what do you mean they're charging nine dollars for a barbecue sandwich and there was that that pivot point of waiting to see will people take barbecue more seriously be willing to pay for better barbecue it, it boomed you know it, it just took off the pit drew lines around the corner for lunch and dinner the restaurant even started offering valet service as parking became more difficult it was determined that the customers sat down at a table at the pit in Raleigh knew who raised their pig. Ed was making a kind of pigsty to table connection. And that was important to him because he understood that that could build black wealth, that that could stanch black land loss, um, that if they could raise a premium product for him as a pit master, he could help tell their stories. John T. Edge remembers going to the pit when it first opened, with its wall of wine bottles and fancy light fixtures. Mitchell was saying something. That barbecue was worthy of celebration, barbecue was worthy of a nice bottle of Cabernet, and that barbecue had roots in a place. He was saying all those things. They're kind of next generation now. During this time, Mitchell was winning against Bobby Flay on his barbecue throwdown TV show. He was featured in Bon Appetit and Gourmet's Diary of a Foodie series. Success and growing fame, though, couldn't save Mitchell from challenges of maintaining business partnerships. Even though I was an excellent barbecue cooker, I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed when it came to managing the business. It was hard for me to do both because uh, I needed someone else, and it seemed like uh, every time I talk to someone or someone try to uh, come in and partner with me, they had different motives than I had. Mitchell parted ways with his business partner at the pit, which still serves up barbecue to out-the-door lines, just without Mitchell. He opened a new restaurant, Q, at the American Tobacco Campus in Durham. But it didn't stick either. The smoke from the pits wafted up, bothering office tenants above. Q opened and closed within a year. Most of North Carolina's barbecue restaurants are either in the country or they're in small towns. And in part, that is really real estate costs. The wood itself is expensive, and that wood takes up a lot of room. And so cities don't have that kind of affordable space. Even without a restaurant, Mitchell in many ways remained one of the faces of eastern North Carolina barbecue. It was Mitchell's experience Michael Pollan tapped for his hit Netflix series Cooked. In the meantime, other pitmasters, some young enough to be Mitchell's children, made this concept of finer dining barbecue stick. Rodney Scott in Charleston, South Carolina, Aaron Franklin in Austin, and Sam Jones just outside of Greenville, North Carolina. Um, a Rodney Scott, a Sam Jones, you know, those guys are benefiting from the, the, the ride that Ed started. Um, and, and being able to take our barbecue a little more seriously and treat it with a little more respect. But, you know, Ed was probably hurt by being the first. First is always dangerous. And the challenges of being a black pitmaster were not left behind in Wilson. In 2015, Fox News put out a list of the dozen most influential pitmasters in the country. There was not a single black pitmaster on that list, which, of course, spurred Twitter outrage. But that highlighted the continuing challenges and invisibility of black pitmasters in this country. Despite the fact that the craft of whole hog smoking was honed, if not developed, by black Americans. The people who perfect the art of cooking barbecue were, were the cotton pickers. Well, we know who cotton pickers were, but 
but truly, um, the art of cooking barbecue traditionally was perfected by the African slaves. And so, I don't care who it is out there, bring them on. They can't be out perfect what I do because it was part of who I am. Mitchell has not been sitting on his hands. His big plans for barbecue have continued. Mitchell's son, Ryan, stepped up to handle the business side of things. He's a former investment banker with the skill and ambition to run a barbecue empire. You learn so much, you know, going through different deals and going through different businesses. But for me, the most important thing was getting, you know, getting my dad and my family in a position of um, continuing the legacy. Now in his early 40s, Ryan Mitchell grew up in the Wilson barbecue business, which for a long time was not something he wanted to be a part of. The emotional part of growing up in a city where the, the culture was still, you know, we had our name on this building and it still was, you know, a very racist um, time for us to be minority entrepreneurs. As his career in finance went through its own challenges, he started to see the value and possibility in what his father was trying to do in the world of barbecue. Accepting and being proud of the legacy and the heritage that we have created. It's all fun and games to the things that you're ashamed of become billion-dollar opportunities for someone else. With Ryan at the helm, Mitchell launched a line of barbecue sauces with true-made foods that are sold in grocery stores across the country. And they cater and appear on the festival circuit. Many of the old-school North Carolina barbecue joints have closed in recent years. There were places that were already switching over to gas or electric because it's the only way to do it efficiently enough to make enough money to employ people. What's surprising to me is not that this is going, but that it stayed as long as it has. You know, people age out, and they don't want to see their kids work as hard as they had to. Mitchell, though, now side by side with his son, is doing the opposite. The pitmaster is building a new pit. The preserve is set to open in Raleigh this spring. The idea is that it's a place to taste and help preserve this piece of Eastern North Carolina culture. They're excited and hopeful about cooking for people again, the old way, with wood, but also raising hogs the old way, pasture-raised heirloom breeds. I'm able to control how and what I want to cook as relates to what I perceived as being the very best I can give you in, in the barbecue industry. And, and I love to see that expression on people's face when they really taste that barbecue that's really as close to what I can remember it was as possible because it is really, really good. It, it, has, it has been a beautiful ride, you know. I have no regrets. And he hopes that ride continues. At 73, barbecuing isn't just something Mitchell has spent his career perfecting and serving up to eager diners. It's part of who he is. It's part of his family's history. As much as barbecue is the story of North Carolina, so too is Mitchell's a story of this place. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the wood smoked. Wilson Sayer reported and produced this episode. Danielle Irby is our editor. And we got some thanks. Who do they go to, Melissa? 
We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music, Jazar for our donor music. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter serves as our publisher. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge, and I look forward to seeing you in Birmingham on March 28th when we stage our spring symposium. Won't you join us as we screen our latest film about Rodney Scott and Roscoe Hall and 21st century barbecue legacies? And visit us at southernfoodways.org to purchase tickets. Thanks for listening, y'all. And thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear. That's barbecue sauce, not gravy. (laughs) Ow, that stings.